James chapter 5. Our message this morning will be from one verse, and that is verse 12. If you would, stand with me in the honor, for the honor of God in His Word. And we'll pray and ask His blessing upon us, and then I'll read verse 12. Let's pray. Now, blessed Lord, we come now to the hearing of Your Word, and we pray, O Lord, for You to speak to us. And we pray that we would be moved to greater conformity to it. We would be convicted. Lord, if there is any area of our lives, whether it be ignorance or, Lord, superstition or just disobedience, we would be moved to confess. Lord, whatever it is we need to confess, and we would conform rightly to Your precious Word who leads us to that great and glorious salvation that we have promised in Christ, who is our prophet. And we do pray that He would come and teach us, that He would come and lead us, and that He would come and make us wise and knowledgeable Christians. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, beloved, chapter 5, verse 12. Above, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning's message is going to address something that we don't often think about, but yet it is a reality in the Word of God, and I think as we discuss it, you'll see how important it is today. We are going to discuss the sin of profanity, the sin of being profane and careless in our speech. Now, when I use the word profanity, you probably thought of what we know to be curse words. That speech which is, um, should be offensive to us, but that's not exactly the profanity that I am speaking of or what James is addressing here. It could be included, but it would be down the line. What James is addressing here is the profane and careless speech of using something sacred and making it common. Before I get too far into the lesson itself, let me at least bring forth the idea that we live in a culture of profanity. Don't we? We do. I mean, the curse words are bad enough. And they have gotten worse and worse. I mean, you know, it used to be, you know, bear with me for the sake of, you know, illustrating that, but, you know, it used to be the little ones, you know, the slip ups here and there, but now we have gotten to be so gross and so profane. And it's across the board, men and women speaking with such vulgarity. Sometimes it's just really hard to listen. And it's certainly. Hard to respect. But we do live in a culture 
of profanity. Not only a culture that is willing to curse and to use that offensive cursing language as something that is common and ordinary, but we live in a culture that is willing and open and um, uh, have developed the habit of taking that which is sacred and making it common. That's what it means to be profane, is to take that which is glorious and sacred and bring it down to a common level. Now, brothers and sisters, let me go right to the point and address and deal with what it means to take God's name in vain. To take something so glorious and so beautiful and so sacred. I mean, you know, today we say, well, is there anything sacred anymore? Well, yes, there is. But just because the world we live in doesn't acknowledge it, just because the people around us doesn't understand that there still remains things that are sacred, it doesn't mean they don't exist. When God's name is taken and used in such common, ordinary language without thought, without reverence, without a mind and heart of loyalty and devotion, His name is taken in vain. I talked about a culture of profanity, brothers and sisters, but it's a sin that plagues God's people too. Taking that which is high and lofty and making it common and base. I mean, there's ordinary language. There are, there's an ordinary speech and ordinary language that we use every day, and that's a good thing. We use ordinary language to describe all the common functions of life. And that's what even James addresses and deals with in that lecture. Yes, be yes. Just say yes. Let no be no. Common language addressing common and ordinary activity. Reserving and saving and setting apart that which is high and lawfully and to be revered and reverenced for those important aspects of life's duties. Now let me mention a couple of them in my introduction. What would be qualified as sacred or um, uh, sacred speech, or what qualifies as that which is uh, we are at that point worthy to invoke the name of God in our oaths and our vows? Well, church membership is one. We invoke the name of God to come and witness to our profession of faith. That we believe we've been called out of darkness and been gifted by the Spirit, filled up with Him that we might serve the body of Christ with the gifts and the talents that He's given to us. All promised to do as He blesses us to do. That's a promise. We take vows when we marry 
In our marriage ceremonies, we make promises, right? We make promises to be faithful to our spouse. We make promises to love and to keep them and to serve them all their lives. What? Through bad times, good times, poor times, prosperous times, all of these things. What do we do? We call upon God's name with holy reverence to come and witness to this most sacred promise. We make vows and we take oaths when we um, enter in certain professions. I took a vow as a minister of the gospel to uphold the Scriptures, to always maintain truth and integrity and to to even love the people that I serve and to serve them faithfully and to serve you faithfully. I, took, I made promises and I made those promises in God's holy name. Yeah, watching Sidney's pinning last week, at the end of the pinning in her profession, OTA profession, they read a oath. And she made a promise, and when she took that oath to live up to what is declared in that oath, we make promises in God's name in court situations, don't we? If we are summoned and called to come into a court setting to be a witness, we are to tell the truth and the whole truth. So help me. God, and of course some courts now have become so pagan and atheistic, they've removed that statement. We've really come, and we've really digressed a long way, beloved, because there was a day in this country you couldn't even testify in court if you weren't a Christian. And the mindset behind that was a Christian will, will fear God. And they will place his hand upon that Bible with a great fear and trepidation to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that a pagan has nothing at stake. Why would an atheist care if he told the truth or not? Because he doesn't even believe in God and he doesn't believe there even is a judgment. Now, brothers and sisters, you might think that this is over the top, maybe exaggerated, but... I want to tell you that verse 12 is not out of place in the context of what James has already told us. Thomas Manton brings out a great point in his commentary on the book of James. He says, now it's common for brothers and sisters who begin suffering to start complaining. And when you start complaining, you start becoming loose and careless in your speech. He said that's common. It's common to become loose and careless. And therefore, James recognizing that this is a problem among the Jews that he is writing to, he must address it. Now, James makes this connection, and it's a vital connection. Our mouths, beloved, are connected to our hearts. Yeah. Look with me at the Gospel of Matthew. 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to look at two passages out of the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 and following. In this portion, it reveals that this is a portion of Scripture that backs up and certainly teaches what I'm claiming, and that is what we say, how we speak, how we converse is an indicator to whether or not we have a godly sound character or not. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Here Jesus is speaking of the fruit of our language. He sees words as being fruit. He's equating the two. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you... Being evil, now notice, being evil, speak what is good. For the mouth speaks out of which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasures. What is good? The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless or useless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What Jesus is saying here simply, He's not saying that, well, if you speak kindly, you're a Christian. No, He's not. Don't equate that. What He's saying is, look, if you are born again, and your heart's been changed, And God is working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. And the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit is going to be bringing forth in, in your sanctification process speech that is more glorifying to God as you live, as you go along, as you, t- as you learn, as you grow. What, what, what Jesus is simply saying here is, guess what? Your faith can be determined by how you talk. Someone that never talks about God doesn't know God. And someone that talks about God all the time without reverence and fear doesn't know God. There ought to be a carefulness and a reverence when we speak about holy things and holy people. God being the highest of holies. Look at Matthew 15, and it's another verse that supports what I'm saying, but I think you get the point. That is, if we're looking at our culture and society, and we see it also sweeping and flowing into the church, where there is this carelessness in speech, there is this profaneness among the the, the culture and society... Even among politicians. Now listen to me. Let me say this. Now brothers and sisters, it is profane not to speak God's name. And it's profane to speak it too much, irreverently, and without purpose. So whether it be a politician, or a celebrity, or an athlete are a minister to use God's name and not have a reverence and a devotion. The object of glory is to be profane. You know, when men just say, bless you, 
Be careful that there is no thought behind the statement. God bless you. You know, it's always astounding when you can live the life of a rascal notoriously, a notorious lifestyle that everybody knows is ungodly, and they hold them in esteem when they say, God bless you. That provokes God to anger. To take his name upon one's lips without a life conforming to that reverence and that glory is to profane, is to bring him down and make him common like everybody else. Look at Matthew 15, verse 19. It says, this is the Lord's teaching. And this is what James, I believe, is referring to here. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. Notice, where do these things come from? Where do these things we speak come from? They come from a heart that is evil. And there are things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man, Jesus says. Now let's look back at James and let's get a handle on the verse itself and let's look at an outline. Notice that James gives this admonition with force. That is, this admonition, which is against profane speech, careless speech, that's the admonition. Don't do it. Stop doing it. If you're doing it, stop it. If you're not doing it, don't start doing it. But notice what James does in the beginning of the verse. He says, but above all, there is a force to the admonition. But above all, it's in, this, in this language, in the underlying Greek, it's strong in the sense that what James is doing is placing a priority in addressing a habit of the people of God. They had become habituated to just swearing at common things. I swear, I promise. You know, you, as parents, you have to address that sometimes with your children because sometimes when your children who have kind of developed a little habit of loose explanations you know most children have a problem at some point with lying because they don't want to be punished and James recognizes that when, when we become when the, our integrity begins to lessen when our faith begins to weaken when we find the, 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 that our Christian character is lacking, what we must do to enforce common language is go, I promise, I promise, I swear, I swear. As if we must beg, right, another to believe us. Why? Because we know we're not who we need to be. And the person lacks the confidence to just simply say yes and no. Yes and no. In order to enforce, 
to bring about belief by force. They want to beg that, I swear, I, sw- I swear what? Well, notice what James does here. He goes, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other. Oh, don't do this. And I'm going to speak more to that in a moment. But the force that James brings to it demonstrates to us that this practice had become a habit. This this sinful practice had become a habit among God's people. And James says, oh, above all. See, James recognizes that the sins that must be dealt with in the ministry are the sins that God's people struggle with. Let's look at the book of James. Turn to chapter 1. Let's just kind of look at what James says because James really does focus upon saving, justifying faith and the way we use our mouths. Look at um, James 1 verse 19. Well, let's back up because I want you to understand. Notice James lays out this this method of sin in verse 15 when lust has conceived it gives birth to sin and when sin is accomplished it brings forth death we see here what happens when we do not take sin seriously the the habit of sin leads to what things that are bad and it goes from bad to worse and if never dealt with it proves that there's never been any saving grace, and where does it lead? To death. I mean, that's common. That's not the saying that there can't be some sins that we do struggle with all our lives. But you know what you better do? You better struggle with them. If you have found sins comfortable, brothers and sisters, I plead with you right now before God Almighty and and the Lord Jesus, call upon Him. If there are sins in your life that you think are no concern to God, you are deceiving yourself. All sin deserves death. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Now go down to 19. He says, this you know. You know these things. You've been taught these things. You've been, this is, these are things that has come to your attention, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, And all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. James there makes the connection that anywhere our speech is profane, wicked, he says. That's the word he uses there. Wicked and sinful. Guess what? Oh, receive the implanted word of God and let the word of God mortify and kill that habit so that you can glorify God. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. All James is saying is the same thing that Jesus has already said. You can't bridle your tongue, really? You you, you can't manage your tongue? Useless. 
Why? Because well, what, what have we done? If you can't manage your tongue and you are a professing Christian, what you've just done is say, no, I'm a believer. God dwells in me, but God is not strong enough and powerful enough to mortify profane speech in my life. He can't do it. And what have we? what is that person guilty of? He just brought God down to everybody else. That's all he's done. He has brought the glorious, loftiest, majestic God who sits in heaven that the nations are but a drop in the bucket. And he says, you know what? You can't do anything to help me. But I'm still a Christian. I'm still saved. But God's not strong enough to help me. Now, brothers and sisters, can I, I want to appeal to you. Do you see the problem with that? Do you see the problem and the sin of making God like you? Like us. Do you see the problem with that? You go to Psalm 50 and what does God tell through the psalmist? He says, hey, you you had a problem. And guess what? The problem was you thought I was like you. And you were wrong. I mean, this is James speaking to us here, beloved. This is not the pastor's words. James says that the person that cannot control their tongue is useless. Their religion is useless. Why? Because as Christians, we should be speaking the truth. And if we're to speak the truth about anything, now we think speaking the truth means going to our neighbor and saying, buddy, let me tell the truth about you. Let me tell you how you really are. That's, that's kind of... Now, how about telling the truth about who God is? How about telling the truth about what sin is and what sin does? How about telling the truth about the, you know, the, the glorious truths of Scripture? How about that? Look at chapter 2, verse, 20, uh, verse 12. Notice again. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. I'm just showing you what James... Listen, judgment is something that we... I mean, you know, you preach more than one sermon and you mention judgment. Pastor, mm, mm, why do you want to ride that hobby horse? Why do you want to be so negative? Why do you want to talk about judgment? Why do you want to bring God's people down? There's more happier things to talk about. But notice, notice, beloved, what faithful preaching does is when there are habits of sin that must be dealt with, you must bring in the grace of God's judgment in order to incite movement and obedience. Because when there's a habit in our lives, brothers, we need all the help we can get. And we need to know that God doesn't like something. But we not only need to know that God doesn't like it, but God's going to punish it. And listen, I mean, that's something we need to know in this nation. Consequences. That's something that's just been thrown out the window in this nation. You can say anything, do anything, believe anything. I mean, without any consequence. Well, what planet does what planet is that on? So we know that's not true. We know that's not even the rule of nature, is it? There's all kinds of consequences out there, but yet we will deceive ourselves in speaking it enough to begin to believe it. There are no consequences. I can say anything, do anything, believe anything, and you know what? It's all good. It's all going to be okay. It is not. 
It is not. And we as Christians should know more than, better than anybody else that we should, able, we should be able to have a ready word to speak when the time comes and somebody asks us why, the, why we have the hope we have, speak to it and say, let me tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ, and why judgment matters. And why I want to encourage you to flee to Jesus. So we got verse 12. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Again, we, James already taught us the power of the tongue. He so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet boast of great things. Boast of great things. Verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of of God from the same mouth both blessing and cursing my brethren these things ought not be this way now I think we get the picture one more verse is 13 of chapter 4 it says come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there then engage in business and make a profit notice what does James deal with there the boasting of the tongue here's what we're going to do the arrogance, what, how does the arrogance and pride of the heart manifest itself? How does arrogance and pride manifest itself? Through our speech. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go over here. We're going to conquer the world. We're going to make a mint. And then we're going to live the life of kings. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks, Right? Okay. Well, hopefully we've established that. Now let's kind of go back to chapter 5 and let's pull out a few things that I think will be helpful and beneficial to us. First, we see the force in the beginning of verse 12 where he says, Above all brethren. Now, what James here is teaching us is that before things can be settled, you need to learn to deal with those sins that you are habituated to above all else what sins in your life need addressing now maybe it's the sin of swearing i don't know but this is how he is treating this sin above all else james knows it's a problem it's something he's identified it's something they're guilty of i mean the jews were notorious swearers in the time of jesus and it looks as if those who had become converted had brought this right over into the church they'd swear by anything so Jesus confronted them in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 23. Jesus confronts the Jews and say, Oh, you swear by the temple, you swear by the gold, you swear by the altar, you do all, you swear all over the place, but it didn't mean anything. See, you, see, they had convinced themselves that they were not going to swear by the name of God, but they would swear by the things God created. And they weren't guilty of blaspheming His name and well, Jesus said, no, it's not true. Because you, now you're doing it carelessly. Now, James points out, he says, listen, this is a grievous sin. It's a sin that you need to address. This has become a habit. So first of all, beloved, recognize habitual sins are your priority. Yeah. You know... You may struggle with what to read, 
what book in the Bible to read. And I think there needs to be a, a general diet of the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. But even above that, if you had but a limited amount of time, you should be studying and addressing those verses and passages of Scripture that is helping you with your sin. If you have the sin of laziness, that's what you need to deal with. If you have the sin, and listen, here's a, listen. If there's any problem this country faces, that's the, the, the willingness to break a vow and an oath. Right? We don't have a problem breaking an oath. Make promise, break it. Make a promise, break it. Make a, pro- make a promise willy-nilly with no concept of keeping it. Or remember how we Americans are. We judge by the things we do. We judge our obedience. We judge our activity by the things we like and don't like. Right? It's not God's Word. It's not what God says. Well, do I like it? Oh, I'm going to do it. Oh, I don't like it? No, I don't want to do that. Well, brothers and sisters, that's a bad way to live. That's a, that's a dangerous way to live because I'm going to tell you something. On Judgment Day, when all that's sorted out, you may find out that God absolutely hates what you like. And what you hate, He loves. Think about all the promises you've made. Will you revisit them today and ask yourself, am I keeping them? Am I keeping the spirit of those promises? If not, why not? And then will you begin to shape your prayer life and your study around helping you become a promise keeper? Now, why is this sin so great? This sin is so great because of its subject. The subject of all swearing is God. God is being invoked. His name is being used or not used. If it's not used, then it's profane because He should be used. If there's any circumstance or relationship that is worth swearing by, it's worth invoking His name. If there's any circumstance worth making a promise, it's worth using His name to make a promise. And not to use His name is again to treat Him carelessly as if He does not exist or matter, which is a violation of the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. Exodus Chapter 20 and verse 7 teaches us that the Lord God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Think about that. Now, if Pastor Stanfield told you, you know, something was going to happen, okay, you could probably think, okay, it's going to happen, but if it doesn't, I'm not shocked. But I promise you, whatever thing God says will happen. Has God ever lied at any point in history? Has God ever said certain things were going to come to pass and they have not come to pass? No. All that He has promised 
has come to pass. So we see that those promises are enforced by His action in keeping His name holy and reverent. So we see that God is the subject of all swearing. Well, we see, and also it's a great sin by the habit of it. They had become habituated to just swearing about everything. I swear I'm telling the truth. I swear I'm going over here, Mom and Dad. I swear that I was over here for two hours. I swear this and I swear... He, he says, look, it has become this habit that of this occasion. What, what are vows and oaths used for? Special occasions. Church membership's a special occasion. Marriage is a special occasion. Courtroom settings are special occasions. Graduation, taking an oath, is a special occasion. Entering into a profession is a special occasion. And these special occasions ought not be trivialized and made common and ordinary because they are events that only happen uh, rarely in someone's life. And of course, the temptation is to treat it as common and ordinary. Thomas Manton says this, he said, the problem with these ruffians, as he called them, these ruffians are, are the profane. They, they just speak and say whatever they wish and whatever, whatever, they, whatever they feel like. And he says, the problem is they lack reverence and awe. What do you think Judgment Day will be like for them? It will be awe-inspiring. You know, courtrooms were designed to be awe-inspiring. You know, you go into a courtroom and you sit down, and whether you're in the dock, out of the dock, sitting at the table, or sitting in the gallery, guess what? There's this, shh. You're not there to talk. You're there to observe We were preaching the gospel. I mean, what would it be like if we were preaching the gospel and everybody in the congregation was just carrying on common conversation as if the reading of the Word, the explaining of the Word, and the proclamation of the Word meant nothing. And yet we do that. I mean, you know, when you, you know, you, you know uh, I've been in church services and there were people would clip their fingernails, checking their emails, you know, making sure all the things are lined up for lunch. That is a treatment of something that's very sacred as common. So it's the respect of the occasion. What do we need to do, brothers and sisters? We need to gain a true awareness of the occasion, don't we? We need to understand that there are sacred moments and times in our lives. That there, guess what the Lord's Day is? A holy day. Why is it a holy day? Is it because it's any different than Monday or Tuesday? Well, not in the sense of the sun rising and the sun setting or the earth orbiting around the sun and all of those things. Not from a scientific matter, but from a religious ethical matter. It is because God says, my name is on the day. 
It's my day. It's not yours. It's a day that I have made holy and sacred by raising my son from the day and it ought not be treated as a common day. We must learn as Christians to know what is holy and reverent and treat it that way. And and treat the things that are common, common. An apostle or James says, and above all, do not swear. It's a sin, beloved, to just make common, ordinary things. It's profanity to take common and ordinary events and treat them as if they are monumental, sacred, and holy. We must, brothers, be at war with sins. This sin, but we must be at war with those sins that plague us the most. Isaiah 58 and verse 1. Turn there with me. I I really want you to see this verse and... I don't want you to think your pastor is picking on anyone, but that this is the Word of God. This is Holy Word. God's Word, brothers and sisters, is what? Holy. You know, I think it's incumbent upon pastors to treat the Word of God in such a way that when it's taught, when it's you know, explained, it's exposited, there's a reverence given to it. Parents ought to do this when they have... Bible study at home is to teach the family that this is the Word of God here. This is not just Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. It's the Word of God. Isaiah uh, 58.1 Cry loudly and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. What should preachers do? Address, address sins that people are struggling with. Brothers and sisters, we have a laxity in our day that is profound. We are willing to make promises and never have any intention on keeping them as soon as things get too hard to do so. We just... And what hap- what's happening in the book of James? Life's gotten hard. There's afflictions. There's hardships, there's loss, there's hurt, there's real pain. And along with that becomes the temptation of not keeping your vows and keeping your promises or swearing, making everything something sacred when it's not. What should we do? We should abandon this sin Listen to what Augustine says about this sin. He says, why does James say above all? Is it worse to swear than to steal? Worse to swear than to commit adultery? Worse to swear than to kill someone? No. But the apostle wants to strengthen us as much as he can against the pestilence of custom. What he means is habit. He wants to show us that be careful when you begin to do these things because guess what? Before you know it, it takes root. It takes root and it changes you. It changes you. 
He says, certainly once we have gotten into the habit, it's hard to stop. It's hard. Do, right? It is, isn't it? Once you develop a habit, particularly a bad one, it's so hard to stop. We can control our hand easier than we can control our tongue. Be careful, Thomas Manton says, for your habit will not excuse you. If it is your custom to sin, remember it is God's custom to judge sin. A couple of things as we close this morning. Now he tells us, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or anything else. Now, and of course, brothers and sisters, there are those groups of Christians that says, well, those passages teach us we are to never take, make a promise or we're to never make a vow or we're to never take an oath. And that's not what, it, that's not what it's saying. It's addressing the laxity, the irreverence of making a haphazard promise with never the intention of keeping it. Or... Are making it intentionally. That is, I truly want to make this promise. However, just as soon as difficulty arises, I don't think I'm justified in keeping it. I can excuse keeping it. He says, be careful of these things. He says, lawful oaths and vows are lawful to take. And there are lawful circumstances and situations in which we must make promises i mean think about marriage ceremony what if you know a couple got up there and just said well yeah we're not taking any vows or making any promises to one another you know we're just we're just you know hey we're just together well there's nothing really i mean important about that Right? I mean, come on. I mean, even church, you know, churches now are, are becoming accustomed to no church role, no church vows. You know that? Yeah. No, we don't need a church role. Because why? We don't, plan on make, we don't plan on holding anybody accountable. We don't plan on doing any of that. You can just come. You know, you just come and hear the gospel. You just come and do whatever you want to with it. Does that even sound like what you've been taught? Does it sound like Christian? Does it sound like the Bible? I mean, forget Pastor Stanfield. Does it sound like the Word of God to you? We are accountable for the things we say, the promises we make, and the Lord will address us by the things we say and the promises we made. So the kind of oaths that is being condemned in the passage of Scripture are those careless ones. Needless. I don't need to swear to my wife that I'm going to take the garbage out. I don't need to swear to my wife that I'm going to work. I don't need to swear to my wife, you know, that I'm going to bring home a paycheck. I, I don't need to do any of those things. That's common. That's ordinary. But when we come in to make a solemn promise to a church body and before God that we are Christians and we've embraced Jesus, that's a completely different matter. If I go to court and I'm here to testify on your behalf, brother, I promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth about my brother. I'm going to tell it. I want the truth to be heard. I want the matter to be known. 
What if Andre didn't have any confidence that I would come and tell the truth? Boy, that would be a terrible situation. He didn't know what I was going to say. Or don't even have to make a promise at all. Just tell us what you think. You see, when you invoke an oath, you're making something weightier, more important. Presbyteries sometimes have to call upon people to take oaths when there's individuals involved in circumstances and there's no witnesses, there's nothing to discern between who's telling the truth and who's not, but you have two opposing stories. What do you do? You solve the matter with an oath. Do you before God promise that what you're telling us is the truth and the whole truth, so help you, God, under penalty of God's cursing. It's dangerous, isn't it? To settle the matter and be done. Because guess what? Now it's done moved out of the realm of the human court to what? God's court. Three things, beloved, that we will consider as we close. First of all, don't be guilty of frequent swearing. Let your common words be yes, yes, and no, no. But in those areas where vows and oaths are needed and recommended, take it with great care. Number two. Number two. Swear not by heaven or earth, the text says. Do not swear on common things. Because you are at that point profaning God's name who made those things. When we swear, we invoke upon God's name if it's worthy of invoking. If it's worthy of swearing, if it's worthy of an oath, we invoke God's name. Don't swear among common things. Heaven and earth. Oh, heaven! for heaven's sake. Oh, Lord. Lordy, Lordy, they've turned 40. There are all kinds of ways in which God's name is invoked in profane ways, and it's profane. And I'm sure all of us have been guilty of it at some point in time. Thirdly, brothers and sisters, don't be an oath breaker. Don't be an oath breaker. Your character before God is going to be determined by the things you say. Your heart. Does what you say align with your heart? Don't be an oath breaker. Keep your promises. Listen, in God's providence, if you cannot keep them, that's one thing. But don't become laxed. Don't be a promise and oath breaker casually. It needs to be important. I mean, for I can't do it. I'm 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 kept from doing it. But if it's in your power to keep it, guess what you do? Keep it. I mean, listen, brothers and sisters, this is not new. This is not new. James, in teaching us this, is not teaching any new doctrine to God's children. This has been something that has marked God's people for thousands of years. Psalm 15. 
Psalm 15, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, who walked, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue. He does no, he does, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against a friend in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt, and he does not change. Brothers and sisters, when we keep our promises, we are being like God, who kept His promise that He would come and destroy the works of the devil, and the devil would bruise the heel of Christ. Christ kept that promise to the pain of His own crucifixion. He saved us. He kept His Word. He laid down His life and took to Himself our sins and made them His own. And His Father abandoned Him on the cross and He cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And the reason was because our sins had become His sin at that point. So that He might be resurrected and God vindicate His name whereby then He might give to us His righteousness. He had to keep His Word. And now He's ascended to the right hand of the Father and He promises in His ascension that just as I have left, I will come again. And Jesus is one who keeps His Word. And brothers and sisters, if you want to be like Jesus, strive to keep your Word. Strive to make, keep your promise. If it's in your power to keep it and you can keep it and don't, repent. Repent because that's not what Jesus that's not the way God, that's not the way our Savior works. Brothers and see, listen brothers, I'm going to end with this comment. And I don't want to end on something negative, but you need to hear it. Laxity in, in keeping promises and keeping oaths is a sign of an untrustworthy people. Can't be trusted. Look at the culture around us. You know why we swear all the time we don't trust anybody? Yeah. We've lost it. There's no integrity. Evil hearts. You know what the, you know what the remedy is? Jesus. A heart change and a love for truth. Let's pray.